everyone. Welcome back to Words to the Weary podcast, where we discuss books and the Bible to enlighten, encourage, and equip the weary soul. This week, we are jumping back into the book, What Love Is, which is a Bible study book written by Callie Minter. It's covering the books of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And today, we're going to be looking at session two of this book. And so I think to start us off, we're going to go ahead and just read the scripture like we did last week that is being discussed within this section of the book. And it's a little bit of a lengthier passage, but we wanted to include it so we give a little bit of a frame of reference when we're talking about what stood out to us. We felt like even though it's a little bit longer, this might be the only scripture somebody reads today. So we thought, hey, why not just read it for you? First John chapter 2, verses 1 through 17 And it starts by saying, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so that is 1 John 2 verses 1 through 17. Like I said, it was a little bit of a lengthier passage, but is a good passage. And there's a lot that we can take from it. And so we're going to go ahead and move on to what stood out from this week's study of this passage. Serena, what stood out to me was on page 55. I enjoyed what she said there. She said, I am still so prone to trying to earn forgiveness, thinking that if I work hard enough in certain areas to please God, he'll repay me by dismissing those other more tolerable areas. She says, I love that John reminds us God's forgiveness doesn't rest on us. It rests fully on Jesus's name, which represents both his person and saving works. And so with that, I want to say that what Kelly brings to our attention here is the word propitiation. And the definition of propitiation 
that I found came from the Gospel Coalition. That's a website that I found it from. And it says, propitiation is to satisfy the wrath of God against sin, to turn away God's wrath, or to offer a sacrifice that appeases God's just judgment and righteous anger against us and our sins. And in the Old Testament, it would have been a sacrifice of bulls and goats. But we now have in the New Testament, Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate propitiation for our sins for all time through God's love. He is what satisfies the justice of God. When we are under Jesus's blood, we escape God's wrath. We are fallen sinful people and he is the one and only sacrifice that will get us clean. That doesn't mean that we can go out and sin all we want. It's not this, yay, Jesus's blood's there and we can do what we want. Jesus is our advocate and so he is there to help us. And he is the savior. And that would be an abuse of his sacrifice if we just went out and did all the sinning that we want in this world. So I did really enjoy what she had here and the way she explained it. She brought it to our attention and brought it and shared it in a way that I really, in a way that it helped me enjoy reading and understanding about the propitiation and Jesus's sacrifice. That is so true, Kim. And that's really the foundation of our faith. And I think the more we come to understand this reality of who Jesus is, the more that we appreciate it and our lives should be a reflection of that appreciation. Like it says in Romans, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We can't just live our lives thinking like, I'm good. I've got an advocate. He's going to have me covered and and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that, but then choose to live and walk in our own ways. That's not how it works. And John talks about here that if you do that, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And so it's this idea that we fully understand what Jesus has done for us as our Savior, and then our lives reflect that in our daily actions. And right after John discusses how Jesus is the propitiation for us, he states in verses three and four, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Kelly points out that when we acknowledge that great love that God has for us in orchestrating this whole plan to make Jesus our savior and our faith begins to deepen and strengthen, that we begin to fully know who Jesus is. On page 46, she points out that John uses the word know 25 times. And she says he wants us to not only know, but to know that we know him. Assurance is one of John's most prevalent themes. And I think the idea here for John is that when we have that assurance and meaningful relationship with Jesus, that changes us. It changes how we talk, how we act, what we watch, how we dress, how we treat other people. It changes everything because it's that transformative work of the gospel. And that's why he says, If you know him, you will keep his commandments. Because we know him, we strive to live our lives in a way that honors him, and that's by keeping his commandments found in scripture. I like the way Kelly puts it on page 47, where she says, keeping God's commandments is not a condition for our salvation, but a characteristic of it. When we really know Jesus, our lives will be characterized by following him and keeping his commandments. In essence, our love for Jesus will have a bearing on the way we live our lives. I used to have a shirt that said, he died for me, I live for him, talking about Jesus. And I think that's the most simplest way that we can put it. When we truly know Jesus and know what he did for each of us, 
that we follow his commandments. Like you said, Kim, not to try to earn our salvation, but rather as an outpouring of thanks. And this was the message that John was trying to reiterate to the church with this letter. And he says, you'll know who's sincere in their actions because they will follow the commandments. They will walk in the same way as how Jesus walked. And that is still true today for us as the church. So how do we take what we learned today and apply it to our everyday lives? What can we do today to know God and what are his commandments to follow? Well, the first step is to analyze our walk with God, to take an honest look at our relationship with him. How much time do we spend cultivating a relationship with him in prayer or studying his word? We can't keep his commandments if we don't know what they say. And as we take a personal inventory, we have to determine whether or not we believe that Jesus is our savior and have we given our life to him. And if we have, are we abiding in him by walking as he walked? Well, what exactly does that even mean? Well, when we study scripture, we can read about Jesus and how one way that he walked is to love people with a radical love. In Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So he's taking an old commandment here of loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. And he's saying, no, it's more than that. It's also praying for those who persecute you, praying or loving your enemies as well. That's a totally different type of love than just loving people who love you back. And so that's one way that we can choose to walk as Christ walked. And not only did he love like no one else did, but Philippians says he was also the ultimate example of humility. Philippians 2 verses 4 through 8 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so here we read this example of complete humility. If anybody could have boasted, it's Jesus. He could have boasted that he is the son of God, that he is God himself, but he didn't. He completely humbled himself, completely emptied himself, and took on the form of a servant. And so that is another way that we can walk as Jesus walked, is when we try to live that life of humility, putting other people above ourselves, which is not an easy thing to do, but is still something we should continue to strive for. I believe that John tells the church to keep God's commandments and to walk as Christ walked because he knows of the warning he is going to give them further down in this chapter. In verse 15 and 16, he warns the church not to love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And I think it's easier to avoid loving the world or the things in the world, like he lists here, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's easier to avoid those things when we choose to abide in Christ's commandments and his example. 
And so to close today, we'd like to also encourage those of you who feel pretty solid in your faith. Uh, maybe you feel like you've, you have a close relationship with God. You take time daily to study his word or to be in prayer with him. And, and you feel like you're in a, a good place where you're striving to walk as Christ walked. We'd like to offer this little encouragement here, just like John offers an encouragement to the church in verses 12 through 14 of chapter two. And here he reiterates to them some truth. And I'm going to kind of just paraphrase it, summarize it, because I think we can apply it to our lives today. And he says to them, little children, your sins are forgiven. You've overcome the evil one. You know the father. You've known him since the beginning and you've overcome the evil one. He repeats that twice. And the word of God abides in you. And I just thought, isn't that such an encouraging message to the faithful? It's that moment where he once again comes along in that fatherly way and says, you know, little children, it's as if he's saying, good job, you're doing it. Keep it up and live out that reassuring truth in your life. And so we're going to end with that today. Hopefully it's a little bit of encouragement to those of you who have a walk with God. You Maybe you feel secure in your faith or maybe you're wavering a little bit as a reminder that, hey, you're doing okay. You've got this, right? We've got that advocate. He's coming alongside of us. And you you know God. You know the Father. You've overcome the evil one. So keep pushing forward with that. And so may we all have this be said of each of us and all the more as we deepen our walk with Christ. So we hope that offers you a little bit of some truth today in your world, helps you to better understand First John chapter 2 verses 1 through 17. I know it did for me. Um, was really just eye-opening a little bit and helped deepen that understanding of who God is and how when we know God, we can have that deeper walk. And so we hope you'll join us next week as we will look at session three of the book, What Love Is, The Letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John by Kelly Minter. 